name is Joseph. Man, this is always tough. Um, a lot of a lot of recovery is for me today, uh, but I'm glad we got a book today because it talks about things like this uh, in the basic text, and that we have to do some things we don't even like doing, and um, that's been a lot of uh, is my recovery is doing doing things I don't like doing, doing things I don't understand, and I understand I don't have to understand today. Uh, and up here in this region, in these, these states up here, uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, and West Virginia, has been a big, part of, a big part of my recovery since I've been around. Uh, there's some very special people uh, that I've grown up with in recovery. Uh, they're up here, they've meant a lot to me that uh, I met during my first year and that are still around today. And that's always a treat. There are more people around up here uh, that I've grown up with and in my own community. Uh, so it's really special in this part of the country. I spent a lot of time up here off and on in, in lit conferences and people's homes and trying to help myself. Because above, above all else, uh, I have a desire to live today. I have a desire to change. Uh, chemicals aren't so much a problem in my life today. Uh, but that desire to change and to not become stagnant and complacent. And that hostile, angry person, that deep vein of, of my, myself being an addict of my anger. Uh, that goes so far back that I can't hardly touch it. This program has has helped me uh, to try to dissolve that anger and uh, try to learn how to be a human being. Because I don't know, I I lived like all of us, but I don't. I didn't do very many things that were uh, things that a human being did, uh, and that gave me a lot of pain for a long time. Kept me out there. I used to get a, resentments and a lot of. Uh, hurt when I'd see people a lot younger than I coming in the program and rejecting it, going back out and using or getting back in jail or, or doing other things. And uh, I realized that, um, you know, I'm grateful that when I got here, you know, sometimes when I get out of the day and the here and now and the moment I'm in, I, I have a lot of fear and a lot of depression about the wasted years of my life and uh, the wasted opportunities. And, the destruction of human life I've participated in. Um, and then I start worrying about the, the future, you know. Uh, time's short, what am I going to do? Uh, and I end up a real miserable person. My disease takes over the management of my life. Uh, and that's not comfortable today. The depression is not comfortable. Self-pity is not comfortable. The intense periods of anger aren't comfortable today. Uh, I try to work a program, try to live one, so those periods that I have, those emotions don't uh, don't last, they don't go on for months or weeks, uh, sometimes hours and sometimes days, sometimes I feel paralyzed, I can't even do anything, uh, but make a meeting. Uh, some days that's all I feel I can do is, is uh, go to a meeting, uh, and I'm grateful for that, that helps give some 
consistency and some positiveness to my life today. Uh, and I'm grateful for Narcotics Anonymous because uh, I came and I came to and I came to believe in Narcotics Anonymous as uh, something that could save my life. Because I really didn't have a desire to die or I'd already be dead. I was a part of the walking dead, living in mortal hell. Uh, but Narcotics Anonymous and you people in the 12 steps uh, something that I can believe in and touch and feel and today. You know, uh, my disease, I think, I don't know, it's not important where it came from, but I've had it a long time before I used that, those first drugs. Um, I too can, uh, I think, Bill's a tough act to follow because uh, it's always a great joy in my heart to uh, to see uh, an addict working a program. I get real emotional when I see uh, an addict staying, doing more than just staying clean. That's um, that's exciting. That's uh, kind of breathes breath into me. Uh, it helps me to have a desire to go to that one extra meeting to answer that phone in the middle of the night, to try to rise above my own sick personality and the personality of other people I care about and uh, get into principles and help to save lives, including my own. And that's really a joy. So whether I was born with my disease or it was environmental or I learned it or whatever is, is not important to me today, I know that Early on, I can be, remember being a very lonely <clears throat> um, child. I can remember not really fitting in, always trying to have to do extra things to fit into this crowd or this group of people uh, in sports or in school or in the neighborhood. Uh, learned people-pleasing and being a patronizing person at a very early age. Uh, before I even started school, I can remember situations with relatives and people in the neighborhood and, and things like that. So I've, I learned my lessons long, you know, for many years before that first chemical opportunity for chemicals ever entered my life, just waiting. And uh, so my disease today uh, is real inbred in me. Uh, I used chemicals for many years, and a lot of drugs, and a lot of substitutions, and, and such as that, but my disease under that tip of that iceberg is what is, uh, is so deadly to me today. That's, uh, the, the drugs were a matter thing in my mind today. Uh, I was grateful uh, to find that out, to learn about personality defects. That's heavy duty. I hear that thrown around a lot, character defects and personality defects, but in, in my inventorying of myself, those are those are heavy-duty things, you know, uh, fractured personality, major character defects uh, that I grew up with. I don't know anything else but you know, being a pathological liar, uh, not ever knowing really what the truth is. Uh, 
That's a, that was a terrible way to live for, for 31 years. Uh, real ingrained in me. Uh, this program has given me a way and a process, <clears throat> if I have that desire, to mend my fractured personality just for today. Um, <clears throat> I can't do enough today that's uh, going to last me. No matter how much I do, you know, tomorrow's a new day and I have to get up and I'll go to a meeting and try to live a program, try to read some of the literature, try to talk to addicts on the telephone, just daily maintenance, uh, just for today, because I can only breathe a day at a time, a moment at a time. Uh, I guess I was in junior high when I used my first drug. Uh, it, it was alcohol. Um, and then I uh, cheated and got a scholarship to go to college and, uh, and picked up, uh, continued alcohol and picked up uh, speed. And then I got kicked out of that state and <clears throat> came back to, uh, to Memphis um, and picked up marijuana. And uh, so between those three drugs, I started having automobile accidents and getting in jail and getting injured uh, physically and having to spend long times in the hospital. And I got introduced to quality injectables, narcotics. Um, and I really liked that. Um, that really helped my emotional pain. I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, but I know, that, I know that's what I liked. I never dropped anything else because I always did all of it. Uh, I never did one drug in a day. I did several. Uh, depends on what I want to do during the day uh, and night. It was always like that. I always had a supply. I wanted to have my pick of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to feel. And uh, I did that for a long time. But I guess of using for 14 years, and getting clean when I was 31 or so, uh, the disease ran for much more time than the chemicals in my life. I got in jail. Um, I've never been convicted. I've had um, 14 major arrests. I've been to jury trials, been charged with gun running and white slavery plus drug charges and 11 driving under the influence charges, public drug charges. Um, on and on and on, but a good manipulator and a con artist that I learned well. I didn't get caught at an early age. I learned the con and manipulation like Bill was talking about to get over on real well, too well. And uh, I was able to exist in some way out there for a number of years. And I was quite proud of that, of the things I could do and get by with. The destruction of human life that I could do and not feeling conscience on. That was a, a great trait in my mind is not having a conscience. I thought I was very special. I could do things and, and laugh about it. Uh, you know, uh, shake your hand or, or, or use your body and cut your throat, you know, in an instant. Living to use and using to live. Using people. That's why today I feel so 
grateful for the 12 steps of Narcotics Anonymous and other recovering addicts who have stayed clean and changed and they helped me be a loving, caring human being uh, instead of that cold, self-centered, unprincipled, immoral, uh, insecure, scared little child uh, that I never grew up, that I covered up. Uh, today it doesn't have to be that way for me. Uh, today those emotions and those fears that I have that overwhelm me in, intensely uh, in any given day. Um, the 12 steps and you people help me to know what to do to let them pass. I don't have to dwell in that insanity and dwell in that um, self-hate, the hatred of society um, that I used to. Going from one organization, one right-wing organization to left-wing organization, um, after another, all through the years of my active addiction, to find the right people, to find where I belonged. Um, but Narcotics Anonymous and the 12 Steps uh, have been what has worked in my life consistently uh, for the longest period of time. It's been a little four years. And it's done me as a human being, as an individual, uh, the best than anything else that I've ever tried. Uh, and all the multitude of organizations and various religious forms and um, other 12-step programs. This has worked for me. Uh, and everything is okay. Everything is right. Anybody's God is right. Because none of it's wrong. Uh, and I feel very fortunate today because I found something that I'm comfortable with that works for me. <coughs> and I've made my stand in life today uh, to change, uh, to be dedicated to, to me getting better. Because I really don't, I think life is a joke. Uh, life on earth as I perceive it is a real joke. I try not to take it so serious today. I try to take my recovery serious. It's a short time that, that, that I'm going to be here. And I want to make the best of it today. I want to, because I'm changing a moment of my life, a day of my life. And I try today for it to be good, for it to be not harmful, be considerate and kind. All the things that, that I maybe have used in the past to get something I wanted uh, from people, from society. Uh, doing... Uh, the wrong things for the wrong reason a lot of times. Today, and what the book talks about in some of the older literature is trying to do the right thing for the right reason. And that has to do with a lot of self-honesty on my part. That's the biggest part of living a program and changing for myself is self-honesty. Um, getting out of self-deception and delusion. Uh, trying to go, go with my gut. Because I think I always knew the difference, what was right and what was good, what the truth was. But all the games I learned to manipulate and hide from it and change it and deny reality um, is something I try not to do today. <coughs> the truth, what's happening in my gut, 
the truth about myself that that even before I got clean, I think I knew about when I was trying to get off or coming down. The reality was very evident when I was when I'm clean today and trying to go to sleep at night or in the shower or sitting on the john when I, when it hits me what the truth is. The 12 steps and the, uh, the spiritual principles that they've been taught to me as I try to live them um, help me to accept the truth today. Spiritual principles of, of acceptance and, and honesty and integrity and open-mindedness and willingness and hugs. Very simple, basic things for me that I, I never had before. Uh, that I don't even know if I knew about before I made this program. I cleaned up and detoxed many times, locked up in my house. Uh, I went through some country club hospitals and state hospitals. Um, I guess the rehab I was in was the Salvation Army and the Union Mission. Um, that's where I heard my first 12-step program meeting just for the day and uh, you have a choice I guess I was ready I came to believe I came to believe in <clears throat> the 12 steps I came to believe in a group of drug addicts I came to believe in honest good orderly direction I came to believe in human beings that's why it's helped me to, to stay clean and, and to try to change and hopefully to get better is because and I, I believe today where my faith comes, where my strength comes from is from other recovering addicts. So when I cut off conscious t contact, that means I'm not going to meetings. That means I'm not participating over the phone. That means I'm not doing things that I need to be doing cutting off conscious contact with recovering addicts. So that really helps me. I have to do everything to back myself into the corner. Uh, I'm alive, so evidently I want to be alive, and I have a desire to live today and not to use. So if I'm going to do that, that means I have to live the steps. I have to live the principles so I can face myself in the mirror. Uh, because my only purpose in living today is to carry the message to the addict who still suffers. And in doing that, I must help myself to get better. I know when I worked in treatment, <clears throat> most of the time I worked in treatment, I was using. Uh, and I've always had that uh, need to try to help other people or pick up that lost dog in the street or something uh, in the way I wanted to and what I could get from it. Um, and I heard a lot of people like that, especially when I was using, working in institutions. And for that, I've paid a deadly price. That's why it's so important today to me to be clean um, and to carry the message the best that I can. You know, I used as much and for as long as I could. Uh, cheap wine, shot dope, and everywhere in between. 
And so all the gory details are not really important to me today. Uh, we all know how to use, uh, how to be part of the walking dead and live in the fast lane. What, what I'm trying to be about today is how to live life differently today. How to remain clean uh, just for today and be a productive member of the NA society and fellowship. And if I can do that, I'm going to be able to fit in out there okay. I kind of think that's what it means in the literature to be a um, meaningful, productive member of society. For me, anyway, it means in, in close association with other recovering addicts. If I can be a, a meaningful, responsible person around people that are similar to myself, that know me and I know them, then I can be real out there. It's really a piece of cake in the world. Uh, here's where I have my difficulty. Here's where I have my, my hard times and my lack of surrender and sometimes my surrender. Here's where I can work on being an accepting person rather than talking about acceptance or being open-minded to a conversation that I really don't want to be in. I can be open-minded. It's easy to be open-minded out there, somebody in the store or walking down the street or on the job. It's real easy because I have nothing invested in them. I, those principles come real easy today. I can accept it pretty easy, a person out there. And what they have to say and how they are. Uh, you know, last night when he did roll call, uh, I guess there was less than 10 of us that four years or more, you know, shows how young uh, that recovery is. In some parts of the country, uh, you don't find anybody in the room that, that has less than 10 years, you know, recovering. That's real weird, you know. A newcomer, somebody, you know, they make you sit in the back of the room if you got five years or less. <laughs> you don't get to sit around the table. You have to sit back there in those chairs. Uh, it's real weird first time, you know, the hell with the way they do it in California. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, a lot of war stories uh, I don't have to tell. Um, a lot of pain, a lot of misery, a lot of lies, a lot of deception, a lot of denial. That I lived. The particulars don't matter. This is a beautiful self-help program, you know, and I work real hard in self-help uh, because I'm the only one that can do it. I can hear the suggestions, I can read the literature, I can see the experience of people that have been clean for a long time, but I'm the only one that can do it. I'm the only one that can go to that meeting or read that literature or be honest with myself. Um, And it took, that took me a hard lesson to learn. Uh, I guess when, uh, for the two years I was in another fellowship, I didn't hear any of the principles. I rebelled against the suggestions. Total abstinence was just not drinking. Um, and I almost died emotionally. Emotionally died, ready to shoot dope and drink whiskey again. 
I found Narcotics Anonymous. And I had, I surrendered to total abstinence when that man over the phone told me that being clean and absent is not doing nothing. I'd heard that, but the people I heard it from and the few times I did hear it, I thought they were prudish or they didn't know or they were old folks. They didn't understand. Uh, But I came to believe in the suggestions. The steps are suggestions, the suggestions uh, of going to meetings, the suggestions of no physical relationships for X amount of time, the suggestions of not going to bars, the suggestion of getting and using a sponsor of the same sex. Um, All those suggestions I rebelled against. You know, sometimes I have a lot of frustration with other people with Narcotics Anonymous because they have to make all those same mistakes themselves. And I forget that I made them before I got here. And I was ready for surrender. I was beat down and emotionally ready uh, to change. My rebellion was out, was beat out of me. My resistance was beat out of me. Uh, emotionally beat out of me. Uh, I knew my sexual confusions. I knew my inadequacies, my insecurities. I couldn't play the game anymore. I just couldn't hold up trying to find a substitute mother and a sex partner all the same person. Um, I was sick. And you people, through your experience, and the experience of others that have come before us, have showed us how to, uh, to change that, how to get real. For me, I needed that toughness. I needed somebody that told me I must do this. That the suggestions, if I wanted to live and change and stay clean, had to be must for me. You know, I, it took me a long time, but when I reached that point, I was ready. I know people today that have long periods of clean time, eight years, ten years, fifteen years, that still... Their primary objective in a meeting is finding that bright, fresh newcomer to take home. Uh, They still get picked up uh, for stealing. So that tells me people can stay clean and don't have to change. My way and the way that I chose to look for examples is not how it has to be done. The thing that I had a lot of frustration and pain over until I realized that I was angry and resentful and jealous because I couldn't do those things and live and stay clean like other people I saw doing. I'm still going to the bars, I'm still going to conscious, I'm still uh, hitting on that newcomer. Uh, I'm still lying and stealing and doing illegal acts. And I realized and got in touch with, yeah, I was jealous because they could still do those things and I couldn't. So I know that really the only requirement for membership is a desire to stay clean and you don't have to change. I do. You don't have to work the steps and try to begin the spiritual experience of living them. But I do. And that's painful. I have to back myself in the corner and close those loopholes that I spent most of my life seeking the loopholes. 
I've got a college degree and a half, and I never made an honest grade. I cheated and manipulated all the way through. When I got in the program, I was in graduate school, and I stopped because I stopped cheating. Had a desire to change, have a desire not to use, have a desire not to lie, have a desire not to steal, and try to do that a thought at a time. So I couldn't cheat anymore, so I flunked out. I went back again. I got kicked out again because I couldn't do the work. Because for all my life, all I've known is cheating and manipulating and conning. And I can't live like that today. I can't make those exceptions. It's not about being perfect. It's about wanting to live. I want to change. I want to be a part of something healthy instead of something sick. The therapeutic value of one addict helping another, not hurting another. Now, again, that could be different in people's minds. What I think is helpful, somebody else could consider that hurting another addict. What I consider hurting another addict, you might consider okay. It's all an opinion. There are things in my life today that I can't do, that I have a choice to do, and that's just not in my makeup today, even though I have the the desire at times, the thought at times, that I'm not able to participate in. But I guess that's what it's all about in developing a personal program. Going to enough meetings and participating in my recovery on a daily basis and observing others and picking what I, what I need to help my defects, to help with my honesty, with my change, with my growth, with my surrender. Because uh, y'all people's all, you know, y'all are all I have today. Things don't matter anymore. You know, houses are nice and cars are nice and TVs and stereos and career jobs are nice. Uh, but they don't help me to live on the inside. When it comes down to it, you know, you need a little food and a little something to get out of the weather uh, and some form of transportation, maybe. Uh, anything else is a bonus and just uh, is okay if it comes. And that's quite a, a switch for myself in the way I used to. And when I first came in, I want to be around people that lived in the right neighborhood or drove the right cars or the, wore the right clothes or came from the right families or looked a certain way. And if you didn't, you know, I didn't want to be around it. You had nothing to offer. And that's how I lived most of my life. You know, and I was told early on that if you're trying to stay clean, to get clean and stay clean, and you're taking somebody's money, and you're trying to get it in their pants, you know, you're probably not going to make it. That's what I was told over the, over the phone early on. If you're going to pick who you're going to help based on how they look or where they came from, you know, you're not going to make it. You're not going to change. You're not going to be able to remain clean. I, I was told that and I believed it. I was ready to believe it and accept it on face value. And it's, and it's held true for me. You know, being a very biased, uh, 
prejudiced person. All that was kind of lifted when I surrendered to those suggestions. You, you see another suffering person and you reach out and you hug their body whether you want to or not, whether they're pretty or ugly or, or whatever their sexual orientation is or isn't, whatever family they come from or any of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. It's just another human being that is suffering. That's all it is. Try to get on the inside of yourself and the inside of others. And I believe that. Being a part of several radical organizations and destroying human life because of their, uh, their differences to me. Uh, this fellowship and these steps and these principles have given me a way to accept another human being. This program has helped me first and taught me through the help of my sponsor to barely begin to accept myself, to like myself, to trust myself, to not deceive myself. Just to begin to do those things with some consistency, with some follow-through, something I never had except on using and destruction, consistency and follow-through. I always did that real well. But nothing, nothing good that I was I consistent and followed through in. Not even the great lover I thought I used to be. And looking back honestly, I wasn't very consistent with that. That was all a deception and a quest and a search that I see today. Now life... For me today is, is being involved, is participating on a regular basis. Life today is more so than not an uncomfortable place for me to be. What is saved saved my life today is having that desire not to use of having the 12 steps of understanding I'm powerless over my disease and my life is unmanageable and being fresh with that today of not isolating you know of saying yes like even to coming up here and then trying to get out of it before I left, or even riding the bus up here and wanting to get off. Uh, I got all the way. It was coming into Columbus, and there was a layover. And I was I checked to see when the routes were going back to Memphis. I wanted to go back. <laughs> um, but thinking those thoughts, but following through. Those insecurities, those fears, those self doubts. Um, that's all that I guess recovery is for me today is the hope and the belief through other people's examples and what little I know in my drop in the bucket time clean uh, of what's possible and trying to survive my own emotions today. It's been a while since I pulled that gun out, looked in that mirror and wondered what that last 
second would be when I pull the trigger, what it would look like in the mirror. That ultimate self-pity. It's been a while since I've had a 15-watt light bulb in my bathroom where I wouldn't have to look too close. It's been a while on a lot of things like that. I've acted out on them, I've thought about them. But the difference today is in how I act or react to my own insanity, to other people, places, and things. That's the only difference, is, is the experience of, of living clean. I don't know for me if it really gets, has gotten any better or if it's gotten worse, but I know it, it's, it's different today. I know I've gotten used to being clean a little bit today and dealing with myself and, and people clean today. It's just different. I don't, I don't really think it's better or worse. It's just different. It's more comfortable. My sponsor, the first, I had my first relationship in the program was just with the program. Narcotics Anonymous and, and the little white book. The next was with that voice over the phone. Because there, there was no being clean to Memphis, Tennessee, and prior to 79 was just not shooting any dope. That was being clean. So that next relationship was with abstinence, with being totally abstinent. Uh, really spiritual relationship. It's a great thing because I'd never been clean. I'd always been altered virtually every day for 15 years or so. I never spent over six hours in jail, so, you know, at any one time. So I was always altered several times during the day. So abstinence in itself, being clean, no mood of mind offering chemicals is a spiritual experience for me. It gives me chills to get in touch with that because that little bright thing in my gut that's clean can't be taken. I mean, people can tell me, you're a sick fucker, don't like you, they can steal from my house, I can lose another job, but no one can take that clean. It's in my gut. No one can take that Honesty that goes hand in hand with me being clean for me is that self-honesty, that honesty to me. You know, you're really not important when it comes to that because I have to live with myself. I have to sleep with myself and face myself and dress myself and talk with myself. So I'm the most important person. If only one person here could stay clean the rest of the day, I'd do my damnedest to be me. And then whoever else wanted to do the next most, you know. But me, because I'm not going to be any good for me or anybody else unless I stay clean and continue to be willing to change and be more open-minded and more accepting, more willing, more consistent. I was consistent in my work record because I never held a job for over a year. I was consistent there. I was consistent and I never quit a job. My pattern was to push it to the limit and get fired so I could blame them. That was my disease always.
them. It was their fault, his fault, her fault. I never broke up a relationship, emotional, sexual, uh, whatever kind. They always left, so I could blame them. It's always been the pattern. But today, the difference is the buck stops here. No matter what anybody does to me, says to me, does to me, it's their right, and that's okay. It's how I act on it that I can have some measure of uh, maturity over, that I can try to work better in my reaction, in my head as well as physically. That's all I have any sort of uh, ability to have some sort of control over is me. That's why I surrendered to the 12 steps of Narcotics Anonymous to other healthy recovering addicts. Uh, healthy is not a physical thing to me. It's a, an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. Uh, I guess I was sick and devastated and ill to high degrees for so long that I really get excited about getting healthier, getting more stable, getting more honest, being more accepting. giving non-sensuous hugs. I know that when caring, loving, non-sensuous hugs, I know at my first convention that I didn't know I got a flyer in the mail and I was told to go. It was in the World Convention in Atlanta in 79. I went down there and everybody was hugging everybody. The first people I met was some, some uh, really uh, insane guy from some thing called a double bubble group. Uh, they all had t-shirts on alike and they were following this guy around and it was the first person I met. I know y'all know who that guy is. Uh, I like to see him around sometimes. And, uh, but they were all hugging and doing this kind of stuff. And I spent half my time going back and forth. I wouldn't even share a room. I didn't have any money, you know. They said you got to borrow money, you can't steal any. Uh, you got to trade something, go to the pawn shop or do whatever, but you got to get down there and you got to go to that convention. Uh, but I wouldn't share a room because I was so, you know, I'd only been around one clean act that happened to be hitchhiking through Memphis by that time. That's a few months clean. Uh, and so I got a room alone. I spent most of my time going back and forth the room freaking out because these people were hugging and touching and I know they were all loaded. You know, they were just jumping around and going around and uh, laying on the floor in the lobby and God damn, it was rough. But I'd go up and smoke cigarettes and walk around the room and turn the TV on and go in and look in the mirror and go back down and, and uh, you know, oh no, no, no. Uh, but that's where I met some recovering people. That's when they told me, uh, you've got to go to the next thing that's happening. You've got to get outside of your community. You got to do something that's not comfortable. You got to do things that are not convenient. And that's the only way you're going to change to the degree that you need to change in the amount of time that you have to work with.
This is the end of side one. Please turn your cassette over and continue for side two. Thank you. Yourself, to yourself. That first step I had to take before I could get into the steps is that desire not to use. The next one was desire to be honest about me, my sexual activities, my sexual confusions, my lies, my use and abuse of, of people. That had to just almost stop immediately. I, I know in the, sick, the degree of sickness that, that I participated in for 31 years, that that desire to change and to get better and to be a better human being is there. I know it can almost be changed in a moment not acted on, and then worked on. I know because I, I was told you can't continue to act on things and change them. And I believe that. And I believe that line in the book is uh, making the same mistakes, expecting different results is insane. You know? You know, I know my insanity, my craziness, you know, I got those papers to prove it. Uh, from a lot of institutions. The labels of uh, sociopath, the labels of manic depressive, the labels of uh, paranoid schizophrenic, uh, the labels of uh, latent schizophrenia. Uh, all those kind of things that I got on paper. when they started talking about having to confine me in a long-term mental institution because I was hopeless, I started trying to tell them about the drugs I was using because I had conned and manipulated and those labels got to not, it was okay being a manic depressive, but when it got to be paranoid schizophrenic uh, and long-term confinement, it got not to be so pleasant anymore. <laughs> I started trying to backtrack and they didn't want to believe because I told them drugs wasn't a problem manipulated drug screens in the institutions, staff members, uh, played those, those games. If there's anybody here that an institution has the management of your life today, uh, give yourself a break. Make the best of it while you're in there. It's just a, it's, it's kindergarten, but get a good foundation. Uh, I played games, beat the therapist, beat the doctor. Uh, Organize the patient. Uh, all that, you know. There's no stuff in there, you know. Hospital romances, hospital organization, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I did myself great harm. I used in all those institutions I was in. Because there's no narcotics anonymous in Memphis, Tennessee. There's no recovery from the disease of addiction in Memphis, Tennessee. But at that World Convention, I met people with uh, seven years clean, total abstinence, and uh, uh, 19 years. Uh, had breasts with those people. You know, I was really, thought I was doing something. I'd go around all during that weekend, and I'd try to find out who had all this stuff and what they were saying. I'd listen and hide around corners, you know, that paranoid way, and look, and watch, and uh, make notes, and, and just 
a lot of those old kind of behaviors and try to find out who who's the best. You know, like trying to find the best stuff and uh, the best this and the best that and the biggest gun and uh, the best one and carrying them all around on the leg and the back, and, you know, knife here and all that kind of stuff, that real sick stuff. Um, but trying to find the best, that's all I knew is you had to find people that had, you know, like it was what they drove and what they wore and then you got to listen to these people, how much time you got clean and how do you talk, you know, what do you, how do you look. Uh, that's how I knew to bring it into this thing. So I found out who had the most clean time and where they were from and where it started. And so I manipulated to eat lunch with those people and drink coffee with those people and sit behind those people and listen to them and, and not knowing how to ask questions. Not, I wanted to act like I knew it, you know. I already knew it, so I had to listen, then I could come in, you know. And I remember uh, Greg P. From, from California, Oregon, and now Georgia, uh, we were sitting, and they were telling me, he says, well, you, what? we were talking, he said, you guys, what, two or three years now? And I didn't say nothing, you know, just kept on talking, kind of letting him go along and believe that. You know, I had two or three months at that time. You know, I wanted to look good. I was embarrassed not to be clean as long. Um, trying to have that image, but it wasn't really working because I was uncomfortable with that, not even knowing about honesty then. That didn't even enter the picture, really, you know, except being clean. Uh, it's a great challenge for me today. It's a great process to stay excited about my recovery. Uh, to say to not get bored with my clean time, not get bored with you people. Because uh, that's all it is, is uh, that means anything. Uh, blood family, mama and daddy, uh, uh, this person or that person that comes in and out of my life, this job, this car, the tires are bad, you know, oh, doesn't really mean nothing. Another recovering addict uh, is the only thing that really means anything to me, after myself, in a hopefully a selfless way, not a selfish way, hopefully in a surrendered compassionate way and not in an egotistical, self-centered way. Hopefully more toward those kind of things rather than the old ways. That's where the hope comes in. Hope without dope. Hope without the Pope. Hope without the rope. And all that kind of stuff, you know. Just hope. Um, you know, I, something in the newsletter I read about the difference in a, uh, this is a spiritual program, not a religious one. I didn't really understand it because it said uh, this Narcotics Anonymous is a spiritual program that helps you uh, live life today and a religious program that helps you prepare and live life in the hereafter. But I don't think that's true. I think those religious programs help people live in the here and now for them. Um, and all of it's right. Whatever you want to believe is your God or your HP or your Hoobadooba or whatever uh, is okay because no one knows. No one knows. This book says that and that book says this and this philosophy says that. It's all written by human beings wherever they say it came from. No one knows, so all of it's right. Just let me have the right to believe how I believe. Don't criticize me for believing in human beings. 
and honesty and integrity and acceptance and open-mindedness and willingness and gratitude and surrender and hugs, non-sensuous, loving, caring hugs to another human being, whether they look like or gender they are or whether they like to do in the darkness. Um, but that matters. That's okay, too. The way I live my life today, anything I want to do that's not illegal or does not hurt another human being is okay. That takes a lot of stuff that I can't do. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. And anything else anybody else wants to do is okay. I don't agree with a lot of it. I think it's hip sometimes. Other things I wish I could do like some people that are doing some good things. I, I like what they have. I want to know how they do that. If they really live that, are they just doing that old dope thing talk? Are they recovering? Are they getting healthier? Are they remaining abstinent? Now, I knew that toughness in the person that I found to be my initial and main sponsor. Person that would to call me, get real. Don't let's not beat around this. I don't have time to waste on it. You know, don't make me ask tw play twenty questions and and go to uh, uh, what is that Latonia to get to Florida or something like that. You know, tell me right to the point. Let's get on about the business. Let's, let's recover and get honest together. You know. She stuck the knife in and twisted it and rubbed salt in it and gave me a hug over the phone. That's what I needed. And that's what I did. Um, I don't need the, the mother syndrome from you people. I got a mother. Uh, they're great enablers. Uh, they haven't changed much. Uh, but I, I've learned to say no. The relationship's gotten better with my parents, not because they're any different or changed, really. It's because my attitude has changed a little bit. Uh, their reaction is a little bit different because I don't have those temper tantrums or hit them or do all the kind of things uh, that I used to do. But they really haven't changed that much. Just their reaction to me is different because my thing is different. But I say no. Here's the credit card. Do this. Nobody is. They can afford that stuff, but they want to still give things. Still have me be a baby. Take care of me. Uh, things that are not good for me that are okay, it might be good for other people. I need to make a stand because uh, I'm learning to, to live life today and, and be an adult. I try to have an adult-to-adult -adult relationship with them. That's tough. So I try to have an adult-to-adult -adult relationship with other children like myself. And that's tough. But I guess an added claim today is a miracle uh, in itself. And I know you don't have to change. You don't have to work or live the steps. You don't have to go to meetings. You don't have to read the basic text or go to a convention or clean up or, or 
after meeting is set up. Uh, you don't have to do those things. I do. Consistently on a daily basis, no matter what I did yesterday. Just like anybody else goes to church or goes to the country club or plays bridge or, or plays uh, rocket ball or reads the newspaper at a certain time or eats dinner at a certain time or goes to bed at a certain time or whatever other people do. You know, the, the thing, the big things in their life, you know, participating uh, in clean activities, uh, whether they want to there or not, is something I do. If it's a clean activity, I want to go. I want to be a part of because my disease of isolation tells me not to go. Uh, my insecurity and my getting my feelings hurt tells me not to go. So, to y'all. Uh, but recovery is what I'm told by my sponsor. She says, I must go. There's a committee, I must go. I have a right to be there and say my opinion and share it by being clean today and have some little experience being clean. That's the responsibility I have. And I can't be responsible unless I'm participating. And I can't participate unless I get out of the house. I can't do it over the phone. That's only a small part of my maintenance is, is over the phone. The bills are large, but that's only a small part. I have to get out and do things that aren't comfortable, that aren't familiar, that aren't convenient. If I'm going to change and grow, I can strive for that perfection. I don't even know what it is, but I can strive for stuff and reach it. If I can strive for that kind of stuff in, out there, you know, I want a Rolls Royce convertible. You know, I want to live in this really nice open home where the sea meets the, the mountains, the mountains to my back and the ocean. That's uh, what I want, but I don't have the energy to, to do anything to get it. <laughs> you know? I just keep muddling through with things and trying to get better in my heart and help my heart and my gut and this old sick head of mine to be one and the same to be uh, whatever a positive, a healthy, a good, a recovering human being, whatever uh, you got means, whatever words you want to use, a surrendered person, a person that helps himself and in return may help somebody else. I'm, I'm, I'm here doing this today for me, uh, just to participate for me. Anything else that might happen uh, is a bonus. If I know about it, or even if I don't know about it, that's okay. That's a bonus. I don't need that gratification, those rewards today. I mean, they can come from within by participating. Participating by going to meetings, participating by reading the literature, participating by not hurting another addict. We, I know I, in the past, have done more harm to recovering addicts than society ever did. 
seems like a lot of times we are real destructive on ourselves to each other in our gossip in our envy in our backstabbing uh, to each other in a spiritual program uh, it seems odd I really work on today not participating in that not when somebody's talking trying not to want to listen because I want to listen I want to hear the dirt you know I want to be right in there uh, try not to it's something I can really work on today that I, I'm not real successful on because I really believe in positive and negative energy and if I do something that I consider negative <coughs> I'm going to get it back negative when I least expect it when I don't need it I don't ask why is this happening to me because I've done something negative to, to bring that around you know. I've done, I've taken steps, done inventories. I've cleared a lot of the wreckage of my past, the physical things and that kind of stuff. The emotional wreckage of my past I, I'm still trying to deal with in a lot of areas. I try not to make the same mistakes today. You know. I've had a, a physical relationship with the time I've been around and my surrender and my recovery and what some of my abstinence, some people think you just abstinent proctor. Uh, whatever, I've had, I've, you know, I've taken one newcomer to bed. That was enough. Now, I don't know what it did to them. But me knowing all the time what I was doing and knowing better, but going ahead and doing it. It's too painful for me. Yeah. I haven't seen him or heard from him since. I mean, that's... Uh, but I, I'm powerless over that, but I know uh, what it did to me, knowing I shouldn't do it, because I've followed suggestions and I was told not to do it. And I accepted that. But just... Let it got started in my mind and I couldn't do nothing but go ahead. That's what this old man told me over the phone when I got clean over the phone. He says, if you let it get started in your head, you're going to have to follow through on it. You're going to go against your gut and you're going to participate in it. Don't let it get started, Proctor, in your head. Just don't let it. You have those thoughts and this and that. Don't let it get started past that, or you're going to be on that endless road that it will be a hard habit to break. It's continually the habitual pathological lying, or the sexual gratification at will, whatever expense it is of any other human being. You know, I did a year and a half of uh, abstinence from physical relationships. I was told nine months to a year and a half based on your own honesty and your own personal growth. I went the full limit uh, because I felt maybe scared or fearful. But I wanted I want to take the best shot at helping myself. 
So instead of going for the nine months, I said, well, I'm going to go this time for the full time. And that was tougher than staying clean. You know, it's not this, I realized for me that after a period of time, it was that maybe it'd be okay for me with you, but it'd be okay for you. Instead of taking your inventory, trying to take your spiritual condition in hand. Would I be willing to give you the time or the attention or the emotional support or the amount of activity you want? Uh, would it be good for your spiritual condition? So uh, it kind of turned around from being okay with me a lot of things, but would it be okay for that recovering person? Would it help their recovery or hurt their recovery? And then again, that's just the way what I might think hurts somebody's recovery, you might think helps somebody's recovery. That's how you live. That's your own value judgment or your own principles or your own morals or honesty or sensitivity or recovery. But what I discovered, it's not that thing of no physical, and the thing of what's that thing of physical or no physical emotional relationship. It's not the sex. It's not the actual deed. It's that emotional thing for me that was the hang-up, that was the problem, the attachment, the security, the, the rejection, the fear, the need. Uh, so my sponsors know that they just, that they're trying to follow suggestions, you know, I'll, you know, we'll go and down to Peabody and we'll get them a prostitute. You know, a nice $50 room hotel and a $100 person and that's okay. So there's no emotional attachment there. You just got to do it. I'll buy you one. I won't eat, trade my food stamps in. You want one? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what I learned. That's what I, I learned. And access from that kind of thing helped me get in touch with my emotions, my help to try more and more to pull me out of my insecurities, my guilt, my shame, my sexual confusions, my inadequacies. It helps me today to survive my own emotions. And in doing that and working on that through the steps and by participating, I'm able to, to try to survive and recover from your emotions. Because addicts are very frustrating, intimidating people. Uh, but this is where I learned the principles and in meetings. Like earlier, this is where I learned open-mindedness and to practice it and acceptance. I don't know what love is. I know what, to me, care is, which is, is kind of the publishing arm of N.A., Karina, that's care N.A., and it's, they kind of formed that back when, and it stands for, care stands for uh, compassion and, and action, uh, respect, and empathy. Now, if I can work on those things and truly care about myself and then try to care about another human being, uh, that's a big job for me. I misused and abused the words love and responsibility. Uh, I lost the right to do a lot of things today, uh, like I lost the right to abuse the right to use successfully or moderately or socially or whatever. Whatever reasons I use for other than the being to escape my emotional pain, to escape reality, 
because uh, uh, a beer is good with Mexican food, uh, wine is good with sex, uh, uh, on and on and on, this drug is good for that, and this, you know. And when I started, when I started wanting help and didn't know I wanted help, I, I found this, uh, this uh, psychiatrist that said in a written letter to some other doctor that I think he can be helped. And that's the first time anybody said that I, it was impossible that I was doomed. Uh, so, and he got up at 7 o'clock in the morning three days a week to see me. Uh, and I want to talk to him so much, you know, that I would, I would take ha half of a, 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 I'll say, a quaalude, so it would release my inhibitions. I'd try to time it just right so when I got to his office I could talk. Because it released those things I want to talk about and get him to, to tell him, help me, this is how I am. But I couldn't get up. Uh, and it helped. Uh, we saw a lot of the surface stuff and a lot of the deeper stuff, you know. Uh, and I want to do, uh, on down the road, I want to do a, a, a fifth step with him. Uh, he said, no, find uh, another recovering addict to do it with. I won't play that game with you. So I believe the therapeutic value of one addict helping another, a therapeutic value of a sponsorship, a formal sponsorship relationship. You know, I had many sponsors, particularly over in another fellowship, where somebody had that nice suit and tie on, somebody else drove this car, lived in this neighborhood, owned this, this company, they could get me this job. All the wrong reasons that I picked, you know. And since then, I've kind of grown to know that any any club, organization, group, or fellowship, there's a sick element. And I found a sick element in every one I was ever in. Because that's the way I was. My disease found other disease. That's why geographical cures I really believed from day one, I believed in they didn't work because I took the city with me. And I'd find whatever it is, wherever I went. But today it's different. I try to seek out a healthy addict in wherever I am. I took a 60-day bus ride around the country last year. Uh, a lot of phone numbers and a lot of bus stations and a lot of recovering addicts all over this country stayed with and it was really, uh, really good for me. I really enjoyed that. Some places you couldn't get a hold of anybody, they weren't home, they wouldn't show up, they know you were, you know those things, that's addicts being addicts. What I guess I try to do today the most is rise above my own personality and try to see the principle, try to feel the principle, try to experience it, and then try to rise above your personalities and see the, the bright, beautiful, happy spirits on the inside that uh, I believe all of us have. Just coming in contact with that inside that the 12 steps can do. A sponsor can help, meetings can help, the telephone can help, uh, being involved can help, uh, but it has to be it's an inside job. This is self-help. This is a self-help program, but you can't do it alone.
can't take that book, no matter how great it is or isn't, based on what you think, and go up to the mountain and recover for very long, because part of my disease is isolation and not liking other human beings. I don't want to be around people. Uh, but doing things I don't like to do and trying to be consistent with it. Trying to develop some things I don't like doing to like to do them. Then there's always something else I don't like doing that I can work on. You know, one thing leads to another. You know, if I'm in a committee meeting and I don't, I mean, I'll decide the wrong thing. I mean, it's just sick. I mean, we've been through that before, you, you know. Then I can hopefully surrender and accept that decision and get on to help it to happen. I can always work on another spiritual principle, but I have my right to say my opinion, and I've got an opinion on most everything. And if you've ever talked to me, you probably know that. Um, but that's my right to have an opinion. They're not old opinions, they're new opinions. Just Some of them are just four years old. Some of them are just emerging and giving me some, some strength, uh, some stability, some consistency in this few short time compared to. My girl last night, God, that was great, you know. Some people around, uh, like that pamphlet, Recovering Relapse, talks about we all recover. We vary and differ in our degrees of sickness and rate of recovery, something like that. Uh, but we all can recover. I like to see people surrender quicker and do better, and be more accepting, honest, humble, open, caring, more participating people than I do myself. I like to see people do that faster than it took me. You don't have to make the same mistakes. You don't have to shoot dope or kill somebody to make this program. You don't have to destroy human life and relapse to make this pro to stay in this program. You don't have to make the same mistakes uh, that I made in recovery. But I guess you get here when you get here and you have to do what you have to do. That's what my sponsor tells me. Formal sponsorship relationship. If you don't, if you got less than a year and you don't have and are not using a sponsor, you're really cutting yourself short. You're going to suffer. I haven't seen anybody yet that hasn't, and I know I suffered because I didn't have a formal sponsor during my first year. So if you, you're under a year and you don't have one and you're not using, you're going to suffer. If you stay clean, you're going to suffer. You're going to miss out. You're not going to recover as well as if you used a sponsor consistently and followed through on some directions. My sponsor tells me, you're going to get mad at me, and I've hung up on him and not spoken. And uh, when he answered the phone, when he called back and whatever, he says, don't run me up. You know, it's going to be okay. Don't dummy up. Call me back. Get in touch because you give yourself a break today. Don't dummy up. Don't pout. You know, get mad and all that kind of stuff. Throw that tantrum, but don't dummy up. Keep the communication open. Unity through communication. Spirituality through communication. Communication, communication, communication. 
it's very uh, exciting. I try to be teachable today, you know. I try to, to be up here to learn something and not to preach. Somebody says I'm worse than some Baptist preacher Bible something about this N.A. shit, you know. You know? I, get, I get that way because I know what it's done to me and I, I, I guess I sometimes fear that if you're not doing it like I had to do it, then you ain't going to make it. But that's, uh, that's not true. I guess that's some fear, insecurity, or, or maybe that envy again. Why don't you have to do it the way I had to do it? Why don't you have to do it the tough way? Uh, but that's not true. You, there are many ways to, whatever making it means, to stay clean. I guess that's making it, staying clean. I have to have more than abstinence myself. More than abstinence. I guess the closest I've been to uh, drug relapse since June of 79 is about my emotions and, and going through uh, some recovering psychiatrist friends of mine and self-pity and what is this and all this depression and can't get out of the house and I'm paralyzed, I can't, you know, give me something to help me, antidepressants, put me back on with him again. You know, give me the new antidepressants that are coming out to help me cope, help me have some energy, some motivation. Um, and I say, well, tell, tell me what you want. We're you know, recovering too. Tell me what you want. We'll treat you chemically, doctor. Maybe you have to be treated chemically. Um, but they wouldn't make the decision, and they laughed at me, and I cried, and they laughed, and I cried. And, um, I didn't ask anything. Why don't you call your sponsor? Why don't you go to me? Why don't you read some of the book? Why don't you go down, uh, hang out at the uh, bus station? I like bus stations. Or, uh, you know, I like lay literature around and see if anybody picks it up. You know, nobody else to talk to me in Memphis sometimes. I got to go find somebody. Pray for newcomers. Uh, if you got somebody like me, if you don't like in your community, give them a break. <laughs> because uh, they care. Their manner, uh, you may not like their manner, their personality, but their, their clean time, uh, their dedication to Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, rise above that personality. Uh, that's, if I could hope that for anybody, that's what I would hope. Um, in this spiritual program, I guess more and more if we can learn to, to tolerate, to care for one another, instead of trying to destroy each other in the name of recovery. Uh, because this is, as I understand it for myself, uh, a life-saving, a life-giving, a loving, caring uh, fellowship program, steps, principles, 
kind of degrees, like our various diseases and, and experiences before we made the program. Similar, but different in some ways. Uh, I never had uh, robbed a bank or uh, had incest with my parents. That I know about, I can go back to four years old. But a lot of other things, most everything else I've participated in or seriously fantasized on. It's probably not too much that anybody in this room has done that male or female that I hadn't done or thought about made myself sick over a wish for. I was out there. I didn't make this program until I was 31. So a lot of stuff, a lot of years, a lot of, uh, a lot of long nights, a lot of insanity, a lot of drugs, a lot of escapes. Uh, so it's okay. That's all in the past. That's all old news. It's old news like a, it's like yesterday's newspaper, or last week's, man, it's just going on. I try to get that out of my head and not do that stuff today. And try to help others if they want to get better to help themselves by not picking up that first fix, pill, drink, tote, suppository, snort, stuff in every body orifice we have type thing and uh, have that desire to change. So total abstinence and being clean today is a, a great spiritual thing with nothing else. Give yourself a break today. I, I'm trying to give myself a break because I think I deserve it and uh, I think if anybody, if anybody that's an addict or a non sitting in this room today deserves giving themselves a break because if you don't give yourself a break, you won't allow anybody else to give you one. Uh, and what's going to mean anything, that's an opinion. Uh, so I try to give myself a break today. Uh, but I have no desire to use and I have no intentions of ever using again just for today. Uh, I have never been able to figure out what to do after that first one. What I do after that first one? Uh, I've never been able to figure that out. Suicide is not, a, I'm a very suicidal, de depressed person. And it's not an option today, you know. Uh, I have you got so many bridges around here, you know. I, at home, I only got two bridges, you know. I don't have a big choice to make. You know, it's either the pull of God out or go to the bridge. I want to go to the new bridge and not the old bridge. Um, and you got so many. I just I really end up in that house trying to decide. Um, but with my kind of luck, if I did something like that, that's the disease talking. It'd be my right. But with my luck, as the disease has luck, uh, it's miracles today, is I'd probably break my back and be laid up, staring at the ceiling, really miserable, really full of self-pity. There's no guarantee that I can die under my own hand. No matter, because I have seen people that have put guns in their mouth and in their nose, but they're having to walk around today. And they're not vegetables, but they're really messed up.
I've seen people that jump off a bridge. I'll take anybody to the bridge that wants to go. And watch you jump. I'll take you there. If you want to get so full of self-pity, and you want to kick the 12 steps and every recovering addict or person that has come before us in 40 years or 30 years in the face and cop out, I'll take you to the bridge. But for me today, that's not an option. So living miserable is not an option, so I have to try to live the steps today and use a sponsor and not tell a lie today, not take anything else that belongs to anybody today or switch those price tags in the grocery store today and rationalize it's a too big a markup or they won't miss it or I need it. You know, stealing is stealing and lying is lying. It's not about being perfect. It's just not telling that first one. It's not rationalizing that his pen is okay and but your car is not. You know, it's not rationalizing that, well, at least I'm better than I was. That'll, you can use every cliche in the program, which I used to, as a cop-out and a rationalization to not recover, to maybe stay absent for a while. I did. I learned the hard way because I didn't have you people to play games with. In my community, all I had was me, and I was one sick fellow to play games with. I didn't like to cut on myself, that self-mutilation that some of us do, but I like to do other destructive things. I was one sick fellow. So I had to reach down real deep, real fast, and pull that stuff out and lay it on the table. With that fellow over the phone who knew all of it anyway, he said, you got to pull it out and you got to pull it out yourself and not play games with yourself because you ain't going to stay clean and you're not going to have anybody, another clean addict in your community. So I'm a better person today for doing that. And then following suggestions and not making exceptions. A moment or a thought or a situation or a day at a time, it's real, real simple. If that desire to change is there. But I was beat down for many years, so it's not, maybe it's not that easy. Uh, it's that emotional bottom, I guess, is that desire. Play games out there. Don't play games with each other in here. Don't play games with me, because my life is important today. Uh, it's not that I care about what each one of y'all do, or how you act or don't act. It's getting that newcomer caught in between the middle that I think about. Don't talk to that newcomer about somebody else in the community because you want their friendship or you want to sponsor them and you don't want that other person to sponsor them or you're afraid they're going to get in their pants and all know give the newcomer a break do your thing with the newcomer but don't talk about other people that are recovering to that newcomer because you may not be around or you may lose uh, uh, infatuation with that newcomer and if you've talked about somebody else in the community that newcomer may not be able to go and help save their own life if you destroy that before it even happens. Give that newcomer a break. Save that destructiveness about another member that you don't like or you're envy or that's sick or whatever. Save it for your sponsor or the priest or your mama or somebody. Uh, don't share it with the newcomer because that may cut them off from doing something and reaching out to another recovering addict that might save their life. Don't be destructive to each other. Help save lives, not destroy them. We're not in this thing. I'm not, and the majority of the people want to win friends, influence people, have personality contest, uh, keep a list of our sexual in 
conquest. Uh, that's ways of the past for me. Therapeutic value of one addict helping another. The newcomer is the most important person. You can't keep it unless you give it away. I try to share my wellness today, or what I think is wellness, and say my sickness for my sponsor. He can handle it. And other trusted members that I've grown to love and believe in. in the, the cassette cuts off in mid-sentence, so this is the end. Thank you for listening.